Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in the latest episode of the Step Back Pod here on Fanside. We come to you every Monday to try to follow the latest that's happening in the NBA, looking back and then also looking forward. Make sure you rate and also that you subscribe so you get all of the latest episodes. We may be adding more episodes soon. You may make sure that you don't miss any. You can follow me, Ethan Skolnick, at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Reason Sports. That's the number Five Reason Sports. My co-host here is Brady Hawk. You can follow him at Brady Hawk. 305. We're going to be joined later today by Will Gottlieb. He's from CHGO Sports and up in Chicago covering the Chicago Bulls. We're going to get into what's wrong with the Bulls. Last year, they were one of the best clutch teams in the league. This year, they're 0-7 in the clutch, and there seems to be some sniping between the coach, Billy Donovan, and Zach Levine. Some unhappiness with Levine getting benched, so we'll get into all the details. Will wrote an article about that. But first, we'll get to some happenings around the NBA with First Steps. All right, let's start in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving is back. We're not going to get into all of the off-the-court stuff here. Plenty of other shows are going to do that. I want to just talk about this on the court a little bit. Kyrie comes back, has a kind of a pedestrian performance against a Memphis team uh, that is missing John Morant and Desmond Bain, uh, which is obviously going to set them back in the Western Conference here for the time being. Kyrie played reasonably well, but I'll go to you on this, Brady. Just from an on-court perspective, This whole thing with Durant and Kyrie, they haven't been on the court enough to really show what they were supposed to show when they came together. Durant wanted to play with Kyrie above all else. They've added Ben Simmons. And actually, the more notable thing for the most recent game is the way that Ben Simmons played, not the way necessarily that Kyrie Irving played. How sustainable is this for the three of them when they face a team that actually has more of its players playing than Memphis did in Kyrie's return. Yeah. I don't know how much is sustainable with the nets in general ever. Like nothing's ever sustainable with this team on or off the floor, but in theory, Ben Simmons could be the bridge between Kyrie and KD. When you talk about two elite shot creators, guys that can get their own bucket. Uh, when Ben Simmons is playing like that, where he has 22, eight and five, and he's able to kind of uh, push pace in the way he did, like every time he would get the ball, he would run out on the floor, open floor and get the others involved. Uh, and they have decent, you know, role players in general, when you look at the guys uh, that are shooting well from three and, and guys that are plugging different spots, but ideally that's the way it is, but it's sustainability. You use that word. And it's like when you're dealing with a bunch of shot creators that are taking difficult shots time and time again, and Kyrie and Katie are probably going to take advantage most of the time. You're basically betting on things that are not in your hands because there's going to be inefficient nights. There's going to be things of that nature, but what can happen is you can create positive offense where it's not all, all ISO ball. When Ben Simmons is kind of bridging all that together in the low post on the transition, things like that. Let's go to number two here. Injuries around the NBA. There are a lot of them. We're expecting LeBron James to return soon uh, from his injury. Anthony Davis has had to carry the load there a little bit. The Lakers trying to get things together in the West. But some new injuries this week. I mentioned John Morant. Already Desmond Bain is out. Now John Morant is week to week. This has been arguably a top three backcourt in the NBA this season with, with Bain's development. How does Memphis survive this stretch without either of them? Yeah, it's interesting because they're a team that already plays 
together. Like they're one of those chemistry teams that are just going to play as a team. And we saw that in that same game against the Nets, like they stayed with them for a good portion of the game just because a lot of their players, uh, Dylan Brooks had a big game. He had 31, but a lot of them were just playing together and they have a bunch of role guys that can just really shoot the ball. So it's funny because you bring up injuries. I was looking, you mentioned a couple of the players that got injured. And it's like three different ways of the ways they'll deal with it. Like you look at, you just brought up job and, and Bain being out. It's more of a team aspect. Everybody has to step up. They're going to move the ball around. They're going to play that type of game. Lillard being out means they're going to kind of pass the torch to Anthony Simons, go to the young guy. And they've won games without him this season. Anthony Simons has stepped up and they have a different way of going about that. And then the third one is Tyrese Maxey, who when he goes out and they don't have James Harden, you go to your, basically your star player in Joel Embiid. So it's basically three different ways of three of teams, how they're going to deal with the injuries, which team will be most beneficial from that. I guess we'll find out over the next week or so. But uh, when you're playing that type of team aspect, like we see with Utah, when they're fully healthy, how they just play that type of play style. That's kind of what I imagine with, with the Grizzlies over this next stretch. And the thing with Philadelphia is it's not just Maxi; They're still missing Harden, which means even more of a lean on MB. They didn't have Tobias Harris. The other night also uh, talking about Lillard, I feel like we're a jinx here because we got into the Blazers a lot last week. A Lillard situation, he'll be reevaluated in one to two weeks with the calf strain. He did shoot two of 14 the other night. They've overcome some of his poorer performances this year, but on the whole, he has looked healthy after missing most of last season or at least the second half of last season. So we'll see if the Blazers can stay up there in the Western conference. Another team in the West though, that's starting to come a little bit is the, the, is the Clippers. And they've been, you know, we, we talk about their talent level. I thought one through 12, that might be the best roster in the entire NBA coming into the season, but it was dependent on Paul George's health, Kawhi Leonard's health and John wall. Paul George is playing at a high level. Kawhi Leonard, even when he's played is not. Uh, And John wall has been okay. All right. So, when you look at, the, I mean, they're 10 and seven as we're speaking here. How good does Kawhi have to be for them to be a serious threat in the West? I honestly don't think it's all on Kawhi. And the reason I'll say that is because, for one, they've been a really good defensive team, like their second in defensive rating this season. And they're pretty much tied for last in offensive rating, or, or before last night's games, they were tied for offensive rating with the Lakers at 106.5. So the fact that they're 10 and seven and they're playing this way and they've been that bad offensively, it's kind of telling that there is some ways that they could turn around when they get their star player back in their first option in Kawhi. Uh, You mentioned John Wall. He just had a really big game the other night where he had like 15 assists. Uh, And that's kind of what I imagine with this team because playmaking is where they can really excel. And it's not because they have a bunch of playmakers. It's just because they have so many like offensive hubs. Like you look across the roster, you have Kawhi and Paul George, you have John Wall and Reggie Jackson that can kind of kind of settle you into different ways. You have uh, Marcus Morris, who's like a mid post guy that can just get you settled into certain sets you have Zubak, who's a roller in the middle of the floor that can playmake and make kickouts. Like they have enough playmakers and guys that can get you into offense across this roster where uh, I have enough confidence in them to get that done. And then you brought up the depth where you said one through 12, and it's like uh, Norman Powell has a big game. They have all these different type of like role player types that they can plug in and have big games where uh, Kawhi can really turn this around. Like the part of those 15 assists from John Wall was like using Kawhi in different spots that we're not accustomed to. He had a couple lobs over the top. To different guys, but Kawhi being used as a roller, like there's just certain stuff there where they're not where I guess we expected them to be before the season because I know we a lot of people had them kind of the top two in the West type of because they had that depth. And I think everybody thought Kawhi, I guess, would be a little bit healthier. Uh, but I still think there's enough promising things just because of the wings, height, different stuff they have defensively that they can throw out there uh, in a bunch of different coverages. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Well, three different guys on the team averaging at least four assists. Uh, you met Reggie Jackson, the starter, John Wall coming off the bench, and also Paul George. We know Kawhi, Kawhi averaging three assists in limited minutes. So you're right. I mean, the, the offense originates from a lot of different places. And then you look at like a guy like Luke Kennard is shooting 56% or excuse me, 48% from three this season on four attempts. So he's kind of done what they've asked him to do. Uh, they just have a lot of different places. Like you mentioned that they can go. Zubac has played well. Uh, Mar- Marcus Morris is shooting 50% from the floor and averaging 15 points a game. We've talked about him potentially being a trade candidate when we've talked about the heat. I don't know that I would move him. I mean, th- they have a lot of wings. They've got a lot of three, four type guys. There are a lot of lineups they can throw out there. Ty Lue is really underrated at combinations. Uh, we-, we saw that in the playoffs a couple years ago. He-, he He's able to work around the absences of his star players by throwing different coverages out there but also throwing different rotations out there. He's not a guy who stays consistent to rotation necessarily. Um, They are dangerous. They're dangerous. And I I think we've talked about uh, Denver being dangerous. They're dangerous. We don't really know what Phoenix is going to look like, but I I don't think that the West has really settled out in any way so far. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Clippers are a four or five seed that ends up going to the finals. I I still, I I picked them for the finals before the season. Uh, Well, I picked a Memphis Clippers Western Conference Finals. I still think that's the way it's going to play out. Welcome to the playback where Brady Hawk breaks down two teams from around the NBA. One East, one West, one that's doing well. We call that the high step and one that's not doing so well. We call that the misstep. All right, let's get to a couple of teams in the Eastern Conference. This is our playback segment uh, that we do here with Brady every single week. We've got one good. We've got one not so good. The one not so good people are used to us talking about. So I don't know how we're going to talk about it in a new way. But for our national audience, we will try. Let's let's talk about the good one first. Our high step segment on the Boston Celtics. And, and here's what's been so impressive about them to me. One is they haven't had Robert Williams. Right. And they also haven't had their head coach from last season. And they've dealt with that turmoil. And right now, I don't know if it's still sitting up there, but going into two nights ago, as we speak, they had the best offensive rating in NBA history, the Celtics did. Is this just about the development? We've talked about this before. Is this just about the development of Jason Tatum from kind of star to superstar to mega superstar where he's in the MVP conversation, a top five player perhaps in the NBA or are there other pieces here that have made this thing happen for them? Yeah, I think it's more about the turn they've made schematically where it's like they were that elite defensively last year. And you mentioned Marvin Williams not being a part of this group now. 
they've had to turn into more of the spacious, offensive, uh, different type of play style in general. Like you just mentioned the offensive rating stuff. They're totally, they're first in offensive rating. Like you said, it's like a crazy number in, in history. Like if they were able to sustain this, which I don't think is probably going to happen, but they're, they're kind of changing the way they do things, I guess, with Brown and Tatum because uh, Tatum, you mentioned averaging 30 points a game. Brown's averaging 25 points per game, but they're like changing different things they do. Like Tatum is not taking as many like mid-range shots in general and those type of pull-ups. He's settling for more threes. Uh, he's knocking them down. You have Brown who's able to get to the rim a lot more. He's able to kind of get by guys, get to the rim, make plays for others. But the reason I bring up Tatum and Brown off drives is because they're shooting from three, like incredible numbers. Like they're second in three-point attempts, but they're also third in percentage. Uh, and the reason why it's intriguing is because it's not coming from one spot on the floor. They're second in corner threes and they're second in above the break threes. Like this isn't one thing that they're just trying to find a certain spot on the floor because that's their game plan. Like they're just absolutely just driving and kicking, driving and kicking because they have two elite shock barriers that can get to the ribs consistently. And then uh, I mentioned being third in percentage, but you have guys like Grant Williams shooting 48% from three. You have a guy in Sam Hauser shooting 48% from three. So you're getting this type of play style that's actually working just because there's just so many guys that are focused on Tatum, focused on Brown, and they're going to send two at you. Uh, and then obviously they have the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, which speaking of driving kicks, you have a, a, a guy that can consistently get to the rim like that and make plays, get paint touches. Uh, so it's interesting because in the, in the turn in play style, and we're going to talk about this team later, but they're not doing as much ISO ball. Uh, like they're not doing what they did last year in that way, where they're, they're kind of playing a type of play style where they're, running more motion. They're running more sets for Brown and Tatum where the reason I bring up the team we're going to talk about later when we talk about the bulls is like, that's what they're not doing <laughs> like pretty much. Like that's the exact opposite. And that's what's the difference is from an elite team to a team that's struggling. So, uh, and then we also see a turnaround in the fact that they're, I think they're fourth in the least amount of turnovers per game this year, which is like pretty much of a turnaround. If you think back to last year's postseason, where uh, you brought, we brought up Miami, but that came when they played them in the Eastern conference finals and Brown just kept turning the ball over to all the depot. And they basically just won the game that way. So it's just, a, it's a really intriguing turnaround because this offense is basically equal to what we saw from their defense last year. What's interesting about the three point shooting because you talk about the drive and kick, and you can actually see it in the numbers here. So, okay, their they're top three guys, or the guys that they counted on the most to kind of create for them last year, Tatum Brown and to a certain degree Marcus Smart, okay? They are leading them in three-point attempts still. Tatum is averaging nine and a half. Brown's averaging almost seven attempts. And Smart is averaging over five attempts. But they're shooting in order Tatum Brown and smart 35%, 34% and 29%. They're not making their threes at a big clip. The guys who are making their threes are the guys they're kicking the ball to Al Horford, four and a half attempts, 48% from three Derek white, who has never been a particularly reliable three point shooter four attempts, 45% from three. You mentioned Grant Williams who had the one huge breakout game in the playoffs last year. But, I mean, he's doing it again. He's averaging four attempts a game, 48% from three. You mentioned Hauser, who stepped into the rotation this year. Four and a half attempts, 48% from three. Peyton Pritchard, two and a half attempts, 41%. I mean, that's literally every single one of them. And Brogdon, okay, 35% from three, but he's doing other things. Every single one of their role players, because I consider Horford a role player at this stage, Horford, White, Williams, Hauser, Pritchard, are all shooting in the 40s, and, and not just in the 40s. They're all shooting in the high 40s from three right now. The team we're going to talk about next 
which was the best three-point shooting team in the league last year by percentage, can't get out of its own way. They can't, the Heat can't have two straight games where they're shooting even 33% from three. And meanwhile, the Celtics play style, is it, so it's that different the way that they're playing under the new head coach than they were under the old head coach? I don't know if I'll say it's the head coach reasons. I, I just really think it's the Robert Williams aspect here. Like the fact that you can use Al Horford now uh, as the, the true five next to a bunch of spacers. And now you're using him weak side. You can't just help off of him like you did with Robert Williams in the dunker spot. Uh, and you go through those numbers. Like the main reason why those shooters are having those numbers is because they're getting open looks because Tatum and Brown draw that much attention. Like that's just what they do when they have the ball in their hands and they're creating off the dribble. So uh, it's an intriguing play style. I'm, uh, the reason I'm really intrigued to see is what they do when Robert Williams comes back. Do they play into more of the offensive play style? Do they go back into a little bit of a mixture? Do they go back to the defensive just all around? I'm going to put my big guys on the floor and you're not going to score. It's going to be something to monitor. But the fact that they basically in November, there's been 10 games they played. They lost the first game in November to Cleveland, like in a one-point game at OT. Uh, and then they've won nine straight. Like this team is just winning. Like it's that simple, like getting away from schematics. Like this team is figuring things out. They're winning games. Uh, and it seems like if they, if they stay healthy, they're going to be right up there at the top. And I don't know who's going to be, there's going to be teams fighting for second, but it seems like they'll be kind of solidifying themselves at the top of the East. That's the thing about the heat and the Celtics right now, as we pivot into the heat is that we spent the entire offseason talking about how the Heat were going to lean into offense, right? These are the two Eastern Conference teams. The Heat were going to lean into offense. They lost P.J. Tucker. They were going to play Caleb Morton, get more cutting, a little bit more athleticism, play the shooters, get Robinson back in the rotation along with Struess, right? You sign Hero to the extension. You put these shooters around Hero and Butler. You draft a guy like Jovic. And you're going to play more of an offensive way. It's the Celtics who have actually done it. It's not the Heat. And you you mentioned on, on Robert Williams, sometimes it is an addition by subtraction situation, but he's too good to keep out. So when he comes back, he is going to play. I don't know that they're going to sacrifice that much offensively. They may do a little bit more ISOing uh, with Tatum and Brown at that point than the play style that you're talking about. But, you know, again, because just because the, the floor may be clogged up in a different way, they may not have quite the spacing that they had before. Um, but I do think it's sustainable for them. And the other thing about it is the key role guy that they acquired who was supposed to provide the three-point shooting was Danilo Gallinari, uh, who was going to give them an additional score off the bench. They don't have him, but they may have him by the time that the playoffs come around. And then they've got another body to add. Do you look at that Eastern Conference Finals last year between the Celtics and the Heat? One of the advantages the Heat had was depth. That's one of the reasons everybody says, well, Jimmy didn't have any help. Well, he didn't on the front end, right? Like they weren't getting the shooting and the scoring from other guys, but they had more playable players than the Celtics had last year. They don't now. The Celtics have more guys who fit in. Like Hauser was not a guy who was in the rotation last year. You've added Brogdon. So that's two pieces. Pritchard has played better this year than last year. Derek White has played better this year than last year. He had the one game against Miami. Uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So let's pivot over to the Heat now because I know you and I do this on a daily basis. And we we talked about, you know, whether or not this was uh, calamity or opportunity. The Heat, as we speak, are now 7-10, uh, and 10, and they're heading to Minnesota on a second night of a back-to-back. So uh, this looks like a 7-11 situation here. I don't think this is going to go particularly well. Then they come back for two against Washington. We have already established, though, I think, that Boston, Milwaukee, class of the East, Correct. 
particularly when Middleton is back? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So in your view for national listeners who don't hear this, what does Miami have to do to get back in the three through six mix? Because right now this looks like a team that's cratering that is heading perhaps for the play-in without a major move. Pat Riley doesn't play for play-ins. They can't really trade anybody as we've talked about until mid-December or mid-January. They've got some contracts they can't move. Tyler Hero, really, it's incredibly complicated to trade him this season. Jimmy Butler is going to miss, as we speak here, a fourth consecutive game. Tyler Hero is going to miss another game, although he's going to be back. The Hero-Lowry backcourt has not looked particularly good, and it does not seem like they're buying into Spolstra the way that they usually buy into Spolstra. Can they be a three through six team this year? Because they're not going to be a one or two after winning the East last year in the regular season. Yeah, I think there's enough trust that they can get back to the lower end of that three three through six because that's a pretty big range. And it feels like a lot of the teams are still pretty close in general in the standings. There's a lot of season left to play, but I'm not really worried about them standings wise. I'm worried about them on court wise, like the things that they're able to do. I was talking about it last night that they don't have an identity right now. Like we've always known as Miami having an identity whether it was defensively, whether it was certain actions that they run. Uh, we talked about in the offseason, them leaning offense, but they don't really have any of that right now. Like, and part of this, I will add, is injury-based. Like, they have, we're talking about a game the other night where uh, they're playing Orlando Robinson, Haywood Highsmith, and Jamal Kane basically a good portion of minutes throughout the game. Like, so it's a different type of play style. But when they were healthy, they didn't have this either. Like they didn't have an identity. They didn't have the offense that they usually run motion wise. And part of that is because, as you mentioned, the hero Lowry backcourt has been weird because that starting lineup change. uh, We've seen different things and they're not able to kind of, it's been a lot of ISO ball in things that we're not used to with Miami. We're used to heavy motion, a a two guard. That's a shooter. That's going to fly off handoffs and pin downs consistently. Uh, So it's just something that we're not used to. And then obviously they still have a certain level of depth, but a lot of that depth is now injured. Like you have your students probably going to be out for a good portion of the season. All the depot. We don't know when that'll ever come back to fruition again uh, with that. Then you have Tyler and Jimmy out, as you just mentioned, like they have so many guys down the line that are just not playing. And it's just hard to overcome it because if they were playing, we we're having these same talks about issues. Like they need time on the floor together to figure this out. Uh, and obviously the big thing here, they don't have the front court piece. Kayla Martin is the starting four, and he's played, as we've talked about a ton, very, very well this season. He's just in the wrong spot. Like, he's in the wrong position. If he was playing the three, playing in, subbing in for Jimmy, playing with a lot of the other undrafted guys off the bench, he'd be talked about very differently. But they are lacking size in that front court. Uh, So it's going to be something to monitor because they're known for being a defensive team. And, yes, we saw the highlights in in Everybody knows what he the Jimmy block against Phoenix and then turning around the fourth quarter. But consistently, they're not a good defense. Because uh, they can't switch as much anymore because guys that are smaller are being able to guard centers and it's just easy buckets in the paint. Uh, and they have to revolve more uh, around drops. So it's just a lot of schematic things that we're not used to that they're relying on. It's just uh, a lot of question marks with this team right now because there's the health factor and then there's the schematic factor. I keep coming back to what we've talked about on Five on the Floor. And if you want more Heat Talk, you should uh, download that podcast. We go pretty much every day. They have no identity right now. Eric Spolscher talks about identity, offense, defense. There's no identity. There's nothing they can hang their hat on at the moment. Last year, we kind of knew what it was. It was, again, they had shooting. They could go to Jimmy in the clutch when they needed to. Bam was going to anchor the defense. You knew what it was, okay? P.J. Tucker was screaming at guys to get in the right spot. 
They look disconnected. They look disorganized. They don't look like an Eric Spolstra team right now. That's the thing. There's just, there's nothing we go into in a game and say, okay, you're going to get this. They're not getting it. And they don't seem to like each other very much right now, which is one of the issues. So for more heat talk, go to five on the floor, but we're going to switch to a team that actually for a little bit of last season was challenging the heat for number one in the East. And then things kind of fell apart and they have not managed to regroup. We're going to bring on Will Gottlieb. Uh, You can find his work at CHGO. Uh, Chicago. He's got a new article out. Actually, uh, the Bulls need to get things figured out and fast. And it starts with a quote from Billy Donovan. You get what you earn and the record says exactly who you are. I think that's where we're at. We're a six and 10 team. Will, how did they go from being one of the best clutch teams in the NBA last year? And thank you for joining us. One of the best clutch teams in the NBA, at least in the first half of the season, Brady and I were just anecdotally, we're talking before you came on. DeMar DeRozan was hitting game-winning shots, right? There were a lot of close wins. I think you had in this story that they're 0-7 in the clutch this season. What has gone wrong? Pretty much everything, to be honest with you guys, and and thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, it's just a complete flip of the switch from the things that they were really good at last year, um, of which, you know, there weren't too many towards the end of the season when they were on that 8-15 and post-All-Star skid. But I think it starts with DeRozan and certainly Levine, who... Uh, neither of them are playing at the level they were last year. And the big concern uh, that I had coming into the season was, you know, you get this all-star top 10 caliber season from DeMar DeRozan. What happens if he's 90% or, or even 95% of what he was last year, where he's not hitting back-to-back game winners, where he's not breaking Wilt Chamberlain records halfway through the season? Does that make them a 44-win team instead of 46 or or 42? And I think you're starting to see that regress a little bit towards what, you, you know, what might have been the normal last year. And then on top of it, you know, Levine is coming back from this arthroscopic procedure over the summer. He has not looked anything close to what he has been. And, you know, the team just, they didn't add any shooting over the offseason. They're not defending at any higher of a level, although I think their defensive rating has jumped up a little bit. Uh, We'll see if that lasts. So it just seems like all the things that they were really good at last year are not working for them, and they haven't really improved anywhere else. Yeah, that sounds similar to what we hear down here in Miami, the whole run it back thing. Run it back hasn't seemed to work well for either team. But I want to ask you about the point guard position, though, because the Lonzo Ball thing is just hanging out there, right? And I wonder, because I I don't know that anybody anticipated DeRozan was going to play at that level again. I don't know that a lot of people outside Chicago thought Levine was a true max, that that he was the type of guy who you could kind of hang your franchise on. But I did think if they had Lonzo Ball, that at least they had someone to organize it. So what is his status and how much are they missing him? His status is still pretty unclear. Um, You know, I think his last game was January 14th against the Warriors. Uh, Had um, his initial meniscus procedure two weeks later. And then, you know, he was supposed to be back uh, as soon as, you know, a couple of weeks before the playoffs. That obviously never happened and things did not really progress over the summer. Ended up having another procedure on September 28th. Um, and there was an initial four to six week timeline. I think it's seven or eight weeks since then and still nothing. Um, you know, they, the, the Bulls say that he's progressing, that he's able to do a little bit more mobility stuff, but um, not to the point where they're really able to evaluate him. So I think we're still a ways away from Lonzo. Um, you know, I would say certainly not until the flip of the calendar year, which is going to put him out, you know, a full calendar year and they're, they're absolutely missing him. I mean, the things that they did really well last year, and I, and I keep coming back to this, but when they were playing at their best, it was getting out in transition. It was shooting threes at a really high level. 
It was defending at the point of attack at a really high level. And basically, those are all the things that Lonzo does well. I mean, that's his skill set. And so when you remove that, I think it just showed how flimsy this roster construction was. You, you look at a guy like Lonzo, who's never been an all-star, who probably never will be. Um, he, he's kind of a superstar role player. And when you lose a guy like that, I mean, should you go from contending for the top seed in the East to, you know, falling eight and tw- eight and fifteen in your final twenty-three games, getting getting absolutely wrecked in the playoffs, um, and then starting off six and ten this year? I mean, should should that kind of player have such an impact on your record? Um, I think it speaks more to the way that this roster has been constructed, and I'm certainly not, you know, of the of the mind that he'll come back and and automatically flip this team back to the record that they had prior to his injury. I think it was interesting when you were talking about some of the things he provided, like you were talking about three-point shooting. I think their bottom two and three-point attempts this year where they kind of flipped their profile. You mentioned transition where now it's a little bit more different, I guess, in the half court wise. We were talking about the Celtics earlier in the show where we were saying uh, they were two main guys, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, were heavy isolation guys. It worked for them because they're elite, but obviously this year they flipped things and now they're running more sets for them, doing different things and their offense is at an all-time high. I just want to get your thoughts on the DeRozan-Levine pairing together because obviously this year it's been, once again, a lot of isolation ball. uh, And I think the two-man lineup is a negative 13 net rating this year. So how does it work? How does it flow offensively with those two without Lonzo? Like how, what is the ideal way for it to flow, I guess? Yeah, I think the ideal and the, what we're actually seeing in reality is a little bit different Um, last year. And, and, you know, to be fair to Billy Donovan, who was dealt a, a pretty poor hand in terms of health and, like I mentioned, like just the the lack of spacing and roster construction that kind of, you know, didn't really maximize the things that DeRozan does really well. But basically, he just kind of fell back on this. You know, Lonzo's been out. Alex Crusoe missed 40 games. Um, all these guys are hurt. Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr. in and out of the lineup. Zach Levine's dealing with a thumb injury. And now he's got a knee injury that, you know, is preventing him from playing at his peak. Um, and so what do you do? I mean, you need a bucket down the court. You have to just kind of let DeRozan do his thing. And he did that at, like I said, I mean, just an incredibly high level last year. This year, I think they're pretty cognizant of the fact that that's not really a sustainable source of offense. Um, they, they really fizzled out towards the end of last year. And um, it just becomes too easy to guard when you know what's coming every time down the floor. So they're trying to implement some more movement. They're bringing Vucevic um, more to the to the corners and to the outer thirds of the court, which is allowing them to get into some more side pick and roll actions to um, you know maximize his passing ability, which I think is one of his more underrated skills. Um, they're trying to get out more in transition. Your, your guy's guy, Goran Dragic, has been probably in some ways like the, the most important player to this team. The Bulls bench unit has really kept them afloat, um, and he's getting out in transition. He's throwing lob passes to DeAndre or to uh, Andre Drummond and Derek Jones and Javante Green. And I mean, he, he has been really like sort of the savior of this team. Um, and so is 36 year old Goran Dragic being like the most important player, a, a recipe for success. I don't think so. Um, they're, they're certainly still in the process of figuring out who they are. You guys were talking about that with the heat. I think it's absolutely true with the bulls as well. Um, but I, I think the margin for error is just a little bit smaller when all these teams in the East are loaded and when you're at a bit of a talent deficit to begin with and when your shot profile makes it really difficult to compete with all these teams that are just getting to the rim at a really high level, shooting threes at a really high level. Uh, the Bulls just kind of have to mid-range jumper their way back into some of these games and it just doesn't really work that way. 
Boy, people in Miami are not going to be happy with that clip about Goron because <laughs> I, I'm just telling you because uh, Kyle has been has been an adventure uh, since he's come down. So there are a lot of people who I think in Miami who'd like to take the Goron Precious trade back at this point. And I, I'm look, I'm with you. He's 36 years old, um, captaining a bench, which is where the Heat had put him a couple of years ago until they needed him in the bubble to start is where he should be at this stage. And I think everybody in Miami is happy. He's playing well. But you're right. It's not. It's not a recipe for success long term. So let's get into. Um, you mentioned Billy, and and also obviously, you know, they bring in an executive from Denver. He was heralded last year for what he put together. But the Vucevic trade, though, right now is not looking so great. Could you go over all the assets that ended up going the other direction? Sure. So it was Wendell Carter Jr., who was on the last year of his rookie deal and was up for an extension. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. And a top four protected pick in 2021, which turned into Franz Wagner, uh, who's looking pretty darn good. And a 2023 top four perfected, protected pick in this upcoming draft coming back to the Bulls uh, was Vucevic and Alfred Aminu, who the Bulls later flipped in the DeRozan trade and was actually kind of a, in an indirect way the reason why the Bulls had to give up a pick to get DeRozan from the Spurs in that sign trade. So... Uh, yeah, that trade is not looking so great right now. I mean, Vucevic has been really important to this team. I think he's really an underrated player all around. Uh, he gets kind of crucified for his defense and for the the low three-point shooting numbers from last year, but he's back up to 39% on threes. And I think his uh, his contained defense is, is fine. I mean, it's you're, you're not going to be able to switch everything the way that you guys can with Bam down there in Miami, but uh, I think he does an all right job. For me, it's more about sort of the the ability for Alex Crusoe and Lonzo Ball to put out fires before they get to that point. And the Bulls just have not been able to do that without those two guys playing at their highest level. Um, but yeah, when you look at that trade as a whole, I mean, you basically go all in for a guy who, you know, you're, you're paying top dollar for and who's, you know, you're buying high on. And he just has not been able to provide that value. And then you look down in Orlando, obviously the that Magic team just came into the United Center and beat the Bulls on a game-winning three by Jalen Suggs. Um, I think that makes it look even worse. Um, but you know, at, at the time, you have to commend their decision to just pick a path because the Bulls for so long had been sort of in the wilderness, not really knowing if they were going to be good or bad, not really getting to the top of the draft where they could find some sort of franchise-changing talent um, and not being good enough to get into the play-in, let alone the playoffs. So um, I appreciate the fact that they went for it. They, you know, and sometimes you you have to overpay to get your guys. So that's kind of where they are left. And, you know, I mentioned the the DeRozan trade, which they also gave up a 2025 pick for. So they're in kind of a tough spot in terms of not willing to go into the luxury tax, not willing to, um, you know, with the, not able to really trade any more picks to, to bring in more talent. Um, and some of the younger guys just not really developing at the pace that the Bulls would like. Yeah, I'm, look, it, it's a little bit like the Minnesota situation, although they didn't give up quite as much, but where you go all in for a big, a total opposite big of Vucevic, obviously. He, uh, <laughs> Rudy Gobert does all the things Vucevic doesn't do, and Vucevic does all the things Rudy Gobert uh, doesn't do. But you, you end up mortgaging a lot of the future for for a big. It better work out. I mean, that's that's kind of where you're at. And you mentioned the luxury tax situation. That's a situation down here in Miami, too. And also, you know, draft picks. You need those draft picks to be able to make the next move. And they're not in that position. So I'll just ask you this. We appreciate Will joining us. You can, you can follow him at Will underscore Gottlieb or his work on CHGO underscore 
uh, sports. Um, Billy Donovan, then, like how much heat is he getting and how much heat does he deserve? And are those the same thing? He's getting a lot of heat. I think the fans are starting to turn, uh, which is too bad because I don't really think he is the the main culprit here. You know, I, I always look to the man above and, you know, I think Karnaschovas has put together a flawed roster and Billy Donovan has done what he can to try to make it work. Um, has not been perfect by any means, but, you know, the Bulls did look really good at a certain point. And um, I think you can attribute some of that to, his ability to sort of manage these different styles of play where, you know, the first however many games they were tied for first place in the Eastern conference. And I think the the fans typically look to the coach to be the, the first scapegoat, but for me, you just have to keep going upstairs. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to the unwillingness to, to pay the tax. And um, I don't think they'll fire Billy Donovan this year. I think that that becomes more of an off season move where you really start to think about what direction you're going but um, he's certainly under pressure the way that everybody is in this organization right now, who's dropped four straight games, who's six and 10 on the season outside of the play-in. Like they have big expectations. They've got their pick going out. They can't afford to be bad this year. And so, yeah, I mean, there's pressure everywhere at this point. All right. I'm going to give this to both of you guys. Um, just answer with what comes to the top of your head. Uh, Will, are they a, uh, are they a playoff team, a play-in team or out of the playoffs? I think they're a playing team. I don't think they're quite as bad as they have looked over the past few games, but I think it's going to be a 9-10 range rather than 7-8. Brady, who finishes uh, ahead of each other, the Bulls or the Heat? Barring, barring a major move here. I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to sound biased if I say Miami, <laughs> but maybe you should answer that. As well. I, I do think it's Miami just because I think there's more reliance on them getting healthier than the Lonzo Ball thing coming into fruition because Miami's injuries are more kind of day-to-day types. And I just feel like uh, they're more in that range. I think I agree. I think the bulls are in that nine, 10 play in range, just because I think even though the Pacers wizards teams are going to fall out, a lot of the Sixers Raptors nets are probably going to jump them. So that'll kind of be the range, but I think I would say Miami at this stage. Yeah, I'm with you, but I, I do think this thing can implode here pretty quickly. I'm sure Will's familiar that Jimmy Butler doesn't like losing for very long. Um, and so we're, we're kind of monitoring uh, that situation down here to, to see how that plays out. Will, we appreciate you joining us. Thanks again. Follow his work at Will underscore uh, Gottlieb. Obviously has a real good handle on what's going on with Chicago. We will have more of a Western Conference focus. I know we did the, we did the Celtics, the Heat, and the Bulls in depth this week. So next week we will get into the West more. Uh, planning on bringing on our friend Mark Jones to talk about the Sacramento Kings, who we did not mention today. They have six straight wins after missing the playoffs for 15 straight season so we'll see if they're still up there when we talk to mark next week thank you will thanks to brady uh and check out our work on the step back uh on twitter as the underscore step underscore back and also of course at fanside everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.